Welcome to Ground Up, a podcast about propelling entrepreneurship in Uganda. Brought to you by UEEI, the Uganda Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Initiative. I'm your host, Hamna Makajo. And I'm your host, Faye Kakai. Tune in every Monday for engaging one-on-one discussions. We'll be talking to a variety of entrepreneurs, support organizations, as well as hosting solution panels tackling specific topics on the ecosystem in Uganda. So welcome to Ground Up. Today we're talking to an entrepreneur. We have a very special guest with us, Daniel Ray, the Group Projects Director at First Wave Group, of which uh, Yalelo Uganda um, is a subsidiary. He'll introduce himself shortly. As a reminder, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, do subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, so could you start by telling us about yourself? Who is Daniel Ray? Daniel was born in Zambia. I'm an engineer by training, uh, but also an entrepreneur. I've set up a few businesses myself, um, and then I joined Yellow after it had been set up and then grew into the group First Wave. Um, so I look forward to talking about um, that. Yeah, so tell us about Yalelo. What does the business do? Why the name Yalelo? Could you tell us what it means, especially since you started in Zambia? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Yalelo is a Bantu word, uh, so meaning of today. So in the markets in Zambia, it's used by by marketeers to talk about their fresh uh, produce. Mm. Um, so we're excited. It's been a great name and brand in Zambia. Uh, but I think interesting to hear in Uganda is that we started off expecting to um, to get a, a new name here. But after spending time and talking about Zambia, I came to realize that people, it meant the same here, uh, certainly to the sort of eastern central parts. And so we decided just to keep the same brand. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. It, it does apply. And it just, it's just interesting to see how the dialects are very, mm-hmm. very similar across the continent. So could you tell us about your journey as an entrepreneur? You said you're an engineer mm-hmm. uh, by training. When did you get into aquaculture and why? So in around 2017, I joined the group um, and I joined it with a specific purpose, which was to build um, the feed mill to make the food for the fish for the existing farm within Zambia. So availability of quality, affordable feed was one of the main barriers to that business. Um, And so they set up a sister company to build and operate um, a plant to make the food. So I joined specifically to do that using my skills. Um, And I think that's one of the interesting things, perhaps, for your audience, is that um, when we talk about entrepreneurs, often we think about the lead person of one organization. And I think something I've come to understand is that you can be an entrepreneur, but not be the sole or the founder, or only be thought of as the founder. So I founded some of my own businesses, but I've joined a bigger one with a skill set that they needed and then being part of the entrepreneurial leadership in a broader sense of growing it way beyond where it started. And uh, that for me has personally been really exciting and I think is an interesting perspective to other people um, because sometimes I think it's too narrow a definition than the reality of the breadth of skills that you need to make an organization successful, especially as it grows. Speaking about uh, Yalelo, the business, you seem to be quite uh, vertically integrated. Uh, mm. We've seen from feed, you talked, uh, you meant you've mm. touched on feed a bit, and you have a strong presence in retail that we've seen right now. Why the decision to go mm-hmm. all across the value chain? Um, does it help in your positioning within the industry in some way? Uh, wh- yeah, why are you positioned that way? This is a, a critical question. It's a critical question to us. 
But I think one for all businesses, you know, when you read advice business books, they always really emphasize that you need to work out what you're best at and you should focus on what you're best at. You guys are good at everything. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we wish, we wish. I think, and this is where the interesting thing about context is important. I think in other markets where there's uh, very developed um, supply chains and you know general markets, you can get, you can buy services. But I think um, across this continent, that's often not the case. And so for us, it's actually been a process that we've been led down of going vertical because we struggled to get um, the the standard of service that was required to deliver the quality of product we were seeking to deliver. And so if we start in Zambia, we very much started as a production site. And we still think of production as being our key um, skill and what we're best at doing. But as just mentioned, we couldn't get a um, reliable source of quality, affordable feed and Feed is by far our most significant expense and influences the efficiency of production. So given a failure to do that, we saw an opportunity, but also a part of mitigating our own risk, and so moved into the production of feed, um, which has been, uh, which was a very good move. Um, but then, so that's on the sort of down, well, further upside, you could say. But so now looking down, it was the same thing. We never re- wanted to get into cold distribution but we continually got disappointed by those contracted to do so and it was ultimately our product that was ending up with consumers substandard which then affected our brand so we realized we needed to take control over that and follow it all the way through to the final consumer which brings us to retail so again in Zambia we've got over 50 stores um, right now in Uganda we've got 10 um, I hope all your listeners have uh, been to one. Uh, if you haven't, can I highly recommend it? Because we believe um, it's a completely new experience of accessing uh, fish. It's surprisingly affordable, as well as being a very high standard environment in which you're uh, in which you're served. But you know, back to your point, retail. Um, we're always learning. We're always learning, and retail is its own area of expertise. But why we want to be in retail is about having the direct contact with um, as many of our final consumers as possible. Um, that brings a whole range of advantages. Let me just jump in here for a second. Um, uh, it's, it's uh, I guess, common belief that building a consumer brand is, 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 is super expensive. And uh, you'll find, uh, particularly the people who are in production, usually tend to shy away from that and say, let's do, pro- you know, let's just do what we're good at. Um, has that been the case? Is that what you found that um, it's, it's been super hard to get your brand to resonate with, with the Ugandan consumer? Great question. And, you know, I'd say every week we're reflecting on exactly this. Um, and, you know, you and your listeners might be some of the, the judges of how successful or not we've been. Because I can tell you we've used a very small budget, very small budget. So we've sought to be very smart about that using social media and other channels that are not capital intensive, you know, but I'd, I'd say we're still learning. It's a journey. You know, as time goes on, we want to look at other mediums because, of course, reaching a whole segment um, of customers needs different channels. So that's something we continue to think about. But I think I'd encourage other people, you know, back to your question is that, you know, we might, you know, everything is relative. We might seem like a large company, you know, that's launched with a lot of money. Um, but as any entrepreneur knows, mm. there's a, a never-ending list of demands for whatever sum of money you have. And so we've invested 
uh, in absolute terms, uh, not that much in advertising. So if you think we're a brand, uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear it, but it's something we'll continue to invest in. And uh, I'll tell you, you struck gold on the name. I mean, um, you're known. Uh, my dad, you know, I told him I was going to Yalelo. Um, I did go to uh, Daniel's uh, facility in Ginger. Amazing, amazing. I was blown away. So, yeah, my dad knows about it. He knew exactly what I was talking about. I was like, oh, okay. So the question then I have is, so why have physical stores yourself versus other channels, say, going through supermarkets and, and, and that sort of thing? What, what, what's the cost differential between, you know, those two channels? Okay. Well, I think one of the key points here is the perishability of fish. Um, and so, you know, uh, compared to many other commodities, it's just that much more sensitive. So as soon as you let it out of your control, um, you don't know if someone lets it warm up and then cools it again. Whereas we have really strict controls from the moment it comes out of the lake. It goes onto ice within seconds of being harvested and it never leaves ice. And we monitor the temperature. We've got uh, sensors and we track all of that all the way up until when we sell it. So we've got absolute confidence in the quality and the, the, um, the life of the product. So by having our own stores, especially for fresh, um, that allows that uh, confidence and to sell at volume. Um, supermarkets, it's more realistic if we're frozen. We want to lead with fresh as our volume product. We'll move into packaged, convenient, frozen, but that we see that as phase two. We want to serve volume to as many people and make it accessible to as many people as possible. Yeah, so actually speaking of the brand harm, I think I remember when you mentioned visiting the facility and I also found a flyer on my mom's fridge with, oh, with offers okay. for Yalilo, so she was familiar with it as well. So I think you are doing a great job on that. Yeah, so um, could we let's speak about sustainability uh, for a bit mm. because um, this is one of the UN SDGs. It's a worldwide uh, mega trend of growing concern, sustainable production. Do you have any measures in place to ensure that your fish are produced sustainably? And could you speak to that a bit? Great question. And it's very much at the heart of what we do. So um, I think that's the important starting point is that um, all of us involved in it joined um, because we were passionate about the efficiency of uh, tilapia in particular as an animal protein. So just as a starting point, it's far more efficient than most other animal proteins. And that's based on being um, a warm water fish and uh, the diet is almost entirely vegetarian. So, um, you know, in Zambia we buy... Uh, Zambian maize and soya from Zambian farmers, many of them smallholders. We process it into high-quality feed and feed it to our fish in Zambia. Everything is done by Zambians in Zambia, and we sell it to Zambian consumers with some export. From the economic cycle, it's deeply um, beneficial to the economy of the, uh, of the country. From a um, social point of view, uh, with all the employment skills and markets, we give to smallholder farmers, but then all the way through to retail and um, providing a service for people to get affordable, and we call it sustainable protein. And um, and then from environmental point of view, you know, as I said, it's it's you know, if we're not all going to be vegetarians immediately uh, around the world, then the type of meat we eat deeply matters. And uh, in that sense, we have an inherent advantage. And I think that's a very important point for. Uh, people who are concerned about that to to be aware. So um, great, Stick, uh, taking a step back, um, agribusiness and aquaculture in, in particular uh, is not for the faint of heart. 
for 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 various reasons um but you've managed to create a strong presence in Uganda um probably that's what you know having a strong presence in Zambia is what you left off to 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 get to where you are um so could you walk us through your key achievements um and what you feel the key success factors along the journey particularly in ag- in the aquaculture industry are what are those key success factors or what have they been for 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 Yalelo in particular um there's a lot in that question yeah. <laughs> um so i think a key point you've raised is that we've built off what we learned in zambia so uh, depending on when you start the clock anywhere between a you know 5 and 8 year um lessons learned period in in zambia and so you know we had the privilege to bring that to uganda with funding that we'd raised and then execute it as efficiently as we uh, as we could but as you say agribusiness um is not easy and in a sense going back to the point that we you know we we were, were vertically integrated and take it all the way through to retail um one of the big challenges is balancing production and uh, commercial so um it's it's a between 6 and 9 month production cycle um and so and and once you start you can't really speed it up but it's also difficult to slow it down so matching your sales with your production is really challenging and uh so it takes a lot of skill and coordination within the company within those two divisions um to do so that's somewhere we're always looking to improve because if either are disjointed um that can uh, have a, a real impact on the business performance back to the achievements though i think i'm really proud of how we entered the country and the specific site and that's something that we we did very carefully so all the early permitting permissions studies were done with great care uh, from you know call it the national regulatory point of view um but how we entered the community uh, was something we did very carefully and something that I've got some experience in and if you come now well you did come but our relationship with the community there is is very strong and that's a that's a critical starting point for a business that employs a lot of people but also has a product that's very attractive to 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 people that live around it so i see that's a real achievement because we feel like we're very much working with them and if that were not the case it would be a lot harder so that's one achievement i think the other is just getting quickly the the speed of which we we started and got uh, started production and then got product to market um including in retail so in parallel while to doing production we were building stores and the moment we were, we were produ- you know fish were coming out we were we were out we were there in retail and um I need to remind myself of the timelines but you know was it 12 was it 18 months and bear in mind covid <laughs> that's uh, that that hit us right as we were about to uh, really get going on the ground um wow none of us saw that coming did we um and that was a that was a whole extra dimension that we not uh, not planned for so i think you know taking into consideration the different challenges i think how quickly we got to market and started uh, getting revenue which of course as a business um has to be uh you know a primary focus uh that you can never stop your attention on as critical a long answer sorry yeah, but uh, <laughs> as i reflect back it's uh been a, there's a, there's a lot January, right? um so covid yeah. yeah we all uh suffered we we continue to suffer in 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 many yeah. ways yeah. And yeah, I recall so that was one of my key sort of um curiosities because you you set up 
probably right at the onset of, 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 of COVID. Can you walk us through how you managed to navigate mm. that whole situation? Uh, and, you know, you're, you're someone who's just bringing fresh money and then this happens, so we don't know what's going to happen in, in, in 18 months. So, you know, we, we, we had no idea what was going on. And you still, you know, kept on. Many businesses closed, uh, people scaled down, whatever. How did you navigate that whole... Um, and I guess, how do you continue to navigate uh, what COVID has brought to us? Yeah, no, thank you. It's a very real issue that, you know, we and all of your listeners will have been wrestling with. And I think one of the points you made was key was that, you know, we never knew how long it was going to last. And it still is ongoing. Um, so I think uh, the first thing before I answer that is to note that, you know, we were just ramping up construction on the site. And then you'll recall that we had the highest rainfalls ever um, for well, no, sorry, November highest December. rainfalls for a long time. Yeah. yeah, November, December, all the way through to March. It didn't stop between the two seasons in um, what was that nineteen going into twenty, and then just as we came, and so the the lake levels went to historic highs. That really affected us being right on the lake and construction. Then just as we came out of that, then COVID came in, and so I remember I was actually home in Zambia just for a weekend seeing my parents when you know news started coming in, and I literally flew across uh, the country to Lusaka and got on the next flight that night. And then there was lockdown. So I arrived back here in Uganda and didn't leave for, I can't remember if it was eight or nine months. So I got back just in time. And so we then went and just uh, set up on site. So being both construction and production of food, we were um, officially exempt from, or, or you could say allowed to continue business, um, which obviously was uh, good. However, it's not that simple because um, our supply chain was entirely disrupted and uh, just the mechanics of trying to operate and trying to house people on site, uh, very difficult, especially as we weren't ready. And it, it, you know, now with a lot of facilities set up, it would be much easier, but it was just bush. Um, I mean, you remember what it looked like at the beginning. So, um, so we just had to um, get creative about how to house and keep staff uh, close um, and how to work with domestic and international suppliers uh, to get the materials that we needed. We managed to, to keep up momentum and obviously it did affect us, but we got it built, you know, continued to, to grow and, and sell. Uh, but yes, it's been a, a significant extra challenge. <laughs> Continuing with the theme of challenges, uh, you did hint uh, uh, upon it um, having a product that's very attractive to the community and uh, particularly a community that's struggling right now because of, uh, you know, the times that we're in. Mm. So uh, how have you dealt with issues around theft? I heard like, um, you know, one of the main things, uh, people who are, you know, in the lake uh, cage farming is uh, the fishermen, rather than going out, you know, spending a full day, you know, casting their nets out uh, when there's a huge pot of fish will come and, uh, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> literally shoot fish in the barrel. Um, how have you dealt with that? Um, well, uh, it's not a past tense. It's, uh, it will, so long as we're farming fish, it will be something we need to, to work at. And it's, you know, so it's never a, a challenge we'll um, overcome, but it's something that we seek to manage. So I think um, the first thing is to, to go back to the point with the entry of the community. We communicated very clearly with them from the beginning about what we were doing and always emphasizing on the broader benefits to the area. Um, one of them being that, you know, we're not stopping them continuing with their traditional fishing 
um, methods. So, you know, sure, we're taking up a portion of the lake, but it's it's so negligible that, so as not to interrupt them. Um, and then just our economic presence in that uh, whole area um, has seen people benefit a lot from, you know, trading land value prices, direct and indirect employment. So that's something we, you know, we meet with them once a month formally with a, a broad ranging representative committee. But we regularly meet with the fishing community specifically and talk about the lake. Um, and so, um, and very much, you know, working with them in terms of how we use the lake. So, as, and, and not just to try and align motivations around that. Now, that all said, of course, the temptation is remains strong. So then it comes on to more practical security measures. So we do boat patrolling. We've got lights. We're waiting for a, a high-tech raid camera that we can use to to see. But um, and so we just do our best on that. And you know, the same on land. We've obviously got a perimeter fence. We we sort of um, use light, and we have a security team. But you know, it's that being embedded and working with the community and reminding them that. We employ a large proportion of them, yeah. um, and uh, to to so please <laughs> work with us. <laughs> speaking of the uh, speaking of the fishermen, so what were their primary concerns? You coming in because, uh, for again, correct me if I'm wrong. It's not that you're coming to get fish out of the lake. You're actually populating your own fish. You have your own hatcheries and all that. What are the, what were their key uh, concerns, and how do you how have you allayed their broader fears uh, in more practical sort of terms um okay so great uh, great question because you know we almost overlooked that fact which is that some of them thought we were extracting the fish the wild fish which were which were you know theirs you could say so um so process of education showing them that no it's very much our fish that we put in we feed we look after and then we take out so in no way are we affecting the original body of fish in no way and actually, um, you know, we can point to studies, which, I mean, they're not, you know, it's difficult to communicate. But um, the presence of aquaculture actually stimulates um, the local uh, fish uh, bodies, particularly because we protect areas. And so this is now where it gets a bit more interesting, the conversations, because they do realize over time that wild fish are attracted into our areas. So that uh, draws them to want to come closer uh, to catch the wild, and then while they're close, uh, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> there's a, the, the temptation is there. So, so that's why it's sort of uh, there's a never-ending um, discussion with them where we sort of coax them on um, uh, <laughs> on the principles. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, financing because you did mention that you had raised money mm-hmm. uh, before you came and set up shop in 2019 and we believe you've mm. raised over about $16 million um, in financing from FinFund and the Dutch Development Bank. Could you tell us about your financing journey? How were you able to mm-hmm. raise this amount of capital? Mm. Okay, um, so the, this is a critical area for all entrepreneurs um, so there's a lot to it. So I think I'll share, you know, quite a few lessons which I think are important. So one is that we were building off a, a platform, a business that model that we'd proven. Um, now in a different geography, but with a lot of similarities. And that's why we came to Uganda. Um, we're so excited about coming and we are even more excited about being here, by the way. We love uh, being in the country and uh, so many things about it and the market. But we were building upon a model that had been proven. And so that's a critical thing. And we were coming with a team that had a track record. And so 
I think, you know, breaking that down again, you know, thinking about the entrepreneurial journey, Zambia started with um, our, well, one founder who was joined by another. And it is incredible what they did, building the business and raising money incrementally as they went along. But it's hard to describe how hard that is, how hard to figure out a business whilst doing um, never-ending fundraising in in parallel. It's um, it's not setting yourself up for success um, because the the range of skills and attention you need just to grow the business is all-consuming, and then fundraising is 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 very difficult. The responsibility of taking someone's money is uh, is huge. So um, I say that because as we as we grew as a group. Um, we've split out roles a bit. So, you know, my focus is very much on education, uh, well, uh, on execution. So um, having raised the money and entering a market, um, that's where my role comes in, whereas others in the group uh, focus on the earlier stage of actually raising the financing. So that's one of the things, the split of roles and of using your skills. So that's one thing. And then the type of business I think is important then to the source of funding that you look for. So as you've noted, we've been working with DFIs because, you know, back to the sustainability point, the social impact, what we're doing very much aligns with their goals. Um, and so that's made it a natural fit. Okay, so what would you say has been the, the biggest challenge in in, uh, in raising, um, raising that financing? And like you've said, while at the same time trying to grow the business, what has been the biggest obstacle and what advice would you give to other small and growing businesses that are Ugandan startups that are trying to figure out how to raise financing? One of the key things is separating out roles and of getting a, a range of skills. So if you're um, an inspiring entrepreneur with with, fin- with a real natural business flair, um, but have never studied or worked in accounting um, or raised finance yourself, you know, I'd highly recommend partnering with someone or an organization that takes control over that um, that side of the business, and then that conversation with uh, with fundraisers, so a sort of a CFO type role, because um, they understand how investors think. Investors think differently than we do as as entrepreneurs and business people. And if you don't understand that, um, you'll struggle to align, and then you'll the sort of the ongoing relationship can become strained because their expectations and yours um, are a little different. So you know, one of the things they need to see is structure structure and how you manage your finances and how you report. Um, if you don't have that in place, you're going to really struggle because you'll struggle to convince them about your projections. And then as you're going along, we all know that life is not like the Excel spreadsheet with a nice hockey stick. So um, if you can't communicate in language that they understand to standards they understand, um, there's going to be uh, a mismatch there. So I think knowing the investors, knowing their expectations what their drivers are beyond just the financial return is critical. And then setting your business up to perform in a way that can uh, demonstrate to them that uh, that you're aligned on that. So maybe taking a step back, at UEI, we're, we're all about collective action. I mean, the, the ecosystem, the small and growing business ecosystem, uh, you, you, the big boys uh, maybe not as much, but I think they're, 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 they're problems that cut across, right? Um, and you find that there, there, there are quite a few problems that cannot be solved by one entity. Um, so it, it, it requires some sort of uh, getting people around the table to, to say, let's fix this. 
what has been your um, experience within our market? Uh, and maybe if you have, we probably have experiences from Zambia, getting people together to actually tackle collective issues. Here in Uganda, are you part of any associations? Uh, are there any sort of intractable problems you're dealing with on an ecosystem-wide level that you like to get solved? Yeah, so critical, and we couldn't agree more. It, uh, you know, in the entrepreneurial sorry journey, um, it can feel like a never-ending set of skills is required. Um, and that's just to run the business, never mind broader. And then, you know, some new regulation can come out overnight that dramatically affects your business. And you're in no position to single-handedly go and, um, you know, present your case and fight it as required. So that's happened to us numerous times. Overnight feed movement bans where that it's just yeah. not allowed to be imported or exported. And yet there's no other options. And you've got... Um, you know, several million fish in the lake needing to be fed. You know, where did the decision come from? How was it thought through? And there's many other examples like that. So, you know, jumping to your question, joining trade associations um, is essential. Um, and then, you know, but you need to decide how much of a proactive role you can have within those, and that depends on what size you are. So here in Uganda, um, we've got a, there is an aquaculture association, which, of course, we're a part of, um, it's in it's it's not that large an association because the industry is not that established here, but the private sector um, association that you have here is a is a huge organisation. Um, so um, in the last um, maybe twelve months, we've been increasing our um, interactions with them and are very encouraged by um, the efforts and the influence that they seem to have, where um, they can play that sensible intermediary of understanding our needs and communicating that to uh, government bodies. And I think that that's a very critical role. So I would encourage entrepreneurs to find the equivalent of that. So their trade bodies or um, sectors that they can be a part of. What about uh, from the collaboration bit? You know, there's there's collaboration within an association, uh, but there's also some sort of bilateral collaborations you do with what would be your competitors. Mm -hmm. um, do you see a lot of that happening within the the, the, the fish industry, or is it uh, um, is the pie too small to start you know collaborating? Okay, well, I was going to exactly say that, which is that um, no, the the pie is is much bigger than any of us and that's something i'd really encourage um you know listeners to be aware of um aquaculture is not easy though so it's something to go into with eyes uh, open um so you know collaborating is absolutely something we uh, are open to do um but i'd say that you know the small number of players has made it um not such a significant factor so far okay Okay, um, and and in terms of um, sort of successes from that collective action, maybe Zambia, where maybe you, your business is far along, mm -hmm. uh, where have you seen? Can you give us some examples, uh, so you know, tangible examples of where this kind of collective action mm -hmm. has has led to some benefits that were bigger than uh, you would have thought? Mm. Well, I think just one example I've ever, I've already given, which is around the ban of yeah. uh, movement of feed. Yeah. So that's something that we. Um, uh, we you know, got together on. Um, another one's a bit strange, um, but back in the health sector was we had a cholera outbreak in maybe two years ago. And out of the blue, you know, fish were named as a conduit. And so fish sales were banned. Um, so, you know, we got the Department of um, Health and, you know, Agriculture and Fisheries down, you know, to show them our process where 
we could see no logical reason whatsoever for this um, position. And um, after a little bit of time, got that reversed. Uh, but that's that's an example of something you would never have expected um, to, to come your way. And where you know, obviously, we're very motivated to work together with any competitors to get that uh, addressed. One last thing on on, on this. Um, so so many times, and, and and you've sort of hinted it as a as a huge problem. You know, you get the policymakers um, who shall not be named. Uh, coming up with with decisions and seemingly out of nowhere or they've not been explained. Uh, how do you think we can engage the decision makers better um, as entrepreneurs? I, I might not have much more to add than what we've said, which is you know you've got to get together with mm-hmm. with other people in in whatever body you think is most appropriate yeah. um, uh, to do that. But you know, back to the other point I made was that you know our number of hours in a day. Uh, that can feel in the sort of overwhelmed bucket of how many different you know relationships do you need to maintain you know that's something you just need to work out for yourself and is sometimes driven by external factors yeah so um i guess sort of looking towards the future yeah what does it look like for yalilo in terms of scale growth i mean you've done work in zambia and now here in uganda you're looking at other countries on the continent what is your what is your growth um uh, journey look like sure well i love uh, talking yeah. about this so we're really excited and proud of um, our start here in uganda um but there's a long way to go here um you know we want to be five times the size we are um and continue to grow um we want to, to continue to make fish more and more accessible uh, to the ugandan consumer um but we want to export as well so um you know uh, any of your neighbors um, have exciting markets um, to to export into, um, and that's from you know production here in Uganda because we see it as an ideal place to be based for production. Um, so there's almost no limit to how much we can grow here, including if another um, if other parties enter the market. So so that's really exciting, and you know that leads into your next point is that we can access other markets um, just from within Uganda. Um, as long as borders stay open and uh, no strange uh, regulations pop up. But um, but then in time, we'll look for other production sites. So, you know, our vision is very much for a continent-wide dominating position um, uh, in tilapia. You know, we see that as, you know, a specialty we've, we've developed and we want to take it across the continent. So um, we're very proud of being an African business um, that's expanding within Africa. Um, and so, you know, there's no limit to whether we look west, um, further afield here in east or, or south. Um, I mean, we all know about the, you know, the growth projections for the continent. Um, the fact that um, in, if we're talking about our sector, you know, the, the need for better, nutritious, accessible food. Um, and so, you know, we're really passionate. We think we, you know, we're... Um, well, we're the most sustainable, affordable protein, the animal protein that you can produce, and we want to do more of it. Yeah, and speaking of growth, and, and you talked about nutrition, and uh, you've touched on this. Um, what would you say success looks like in terms of the big picture? You know, a uh, couple years from now, what, how different would you like Africa to look like in terms of the contribution you're making and the impact that you're having? Mm. What is the vision mm. from that perspective? So we also love talking about this, and by we, I mean, you know, our senior leadership team and the founders, because it was very much a driving 
part of why we joined and um, you know work hard in this business. And I think you know all of your listeners, other other entrepreneurs, will resonate with this, which is that you know every entrepreneur hopes at some stage to um, make some money to get some uh, return on what they've put in, but that's usually not the primary driving force for success because, frankly, you'd give up along the way because there's so much of a challenge. But for us, you know, we've covered some of the things. So the fact that we go all the way from giving a market to hundreds, thousands of smallholder farmers, we employ in Zambia, I think it's getting, it's certainly 1,200. It might be up to 1,500 people. Uh, Uganda, we're getting towards 500 and growing. But these are quality jobs, so we train people. Um, and we pay them well um, and um, really make a difference to you know their lives and the community that we're in. We really do. If you come and see from even right here from when we started about two years ago to now, and then if you come back in another two or five years, um, it's amazing the, the change we bring um, to, um, uh, to the area. So there's a real positive social element, and that's just in our direct um, uh, people within our business. Um, but then, you know, the indirect we've talked a bit about, we're making, you know, nutritious food more accessible, that's affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an almost hard to measure positive impact there. And then, you know, on the economic front, again, as I described, the fact that we're not just importing manufactured goods from the East and making a markup and selling it and employing a few people in a, in a shop. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the whole chain is within the company, in the, in the country. So the contribution to the economy is is huge, um, and that uh, that feels good. And I guess the final point of that is that uh, we would like to be profitable. Um, so it's a long, tough journey getting to um, profitability because as you're trying to expand and um, and and reinvest, and you know, speed bumps come regularly. Um, getting to actual profitability is 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 uh, is hard, but. That's uh, obviously one of our uh, priorities. Yeah, the small issue of prof- profitability. Yes. Um, so, so I mean, you know, you've come set up. We see your stores um, all over Kampala, at least. Uh, what's next? What's on the horizon? What should we expect from Yalelo, you know, um, in the next year or so? What are you going to look like? Well, um, so, as I said, we want to, you know, Get, we want to multiply in size. So next time I come and visit you, I don't just want to hear about your dad or your mum talking about us. I want your grandmother, your cousin, your uh, niece, and uh, and all your friends uh, and their friends to um, to know us and to buy, be buying from us. But yeah, I mean, we've got uh, 10 stores in Kampala now. Uh, we look forward to the day of having 50. So making it accessible, accessible, quality, controlled, reliable supply. Um and um, so out, you know, within Kampala, but then across the country. So, um, and through retail, but we'll also continue with some bulk um, sales and we're looking at different ways to optimize doing that. Okay. Uh, November is usually the Black Friday oh. month. So uh, where can we pick up uh, chip fish? Yeah. <laughs> any, any of our stores. So uh, Google us, Facebook. Yeah. Um, so we've got a Black Friday special this week. Yeah. Uh, grab it. Um, but know that every Thursday we, you know, if you if you miss this one, you know, maybe you're, you've got competing priorities for uh, what you get on Black Friday. Every Thursday we have a special. Every um, holiday we do a special. What's the special though? Uh, well, we it's um, we two thousand shillings discount per kilo every Thursday. 
It's significant. Yeah. yeah. Every Thursday. And um, and as I said, you know, many other events throughout the year. Yes. So uh, so roll up, roll up. And please share those with us so that we can help uh, spread the word. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we've come to the end. It's been a, a, an interesting conversation. Do you have any, you know, final thoughts or parting words for our listeners? Wow, well, this has been, uh, you know, a, a, an interview I've greatly enjoyed intense. So we've covered a lot of ground. I think one reflection I'll just make, and this is a personal one, which, you know, they can be meaningful, which is that, um, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, I, I'm an engineer by training. Um, I'm, uh, I'm also an entrepreneur. Um, but I deliberately chose to join um, a, a company in a vision that someone else had created um, because it enabled me to use my skills on a different scale than what I had been doing. And I think it was it's something I've really um, reflected and been glad of the decision I made. Um, and I think it's something good for other people to reflect on, uh, which is that sometimes joining and being part of something bigger um, can be very rewarding um, and, and increase your chances of success than just trying to do everything yourself. Um, so I think that's something that I've, I've really learned um, on. And, you know, the team I've worked with are fantastic. It's just been an inspiration to work, to, to work with them. Um, and that's really, you know, grown me as an individual. And so, you know, that would be something I would share, that looking out for the opportunity to work with other exceptional people on something uh, it's exciting. Great wisdom. And uh, thank you very, very much. It's been very enjoyable on my part. And uh, we wish you all the success. Uh, hopefully you can allow us to come visit and see, be part of the growth. Oh, and uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing the impact that you're looking to create. And grabbing some fish on Thursday for sure. <laughs> Please. Yeah, thank you so much and uh, all the best from ground up. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be here. Tune in to Ground Up every Monday. Subscribe and share this content if you find it useful. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.